0: and give it some serious thought. So here's the question. When was the last time that you fell on your face before Jesus in prayer, overcome with the shame of your sin and the joy of his salvation? When was the last time that you fell on your face before Jesus, overcome with the shame of your sin and the joy of his salvation? So we have a wonderful story ahead of us today, one that I pray will challenge us as we reflect on that question in our hearts and ultimately lead us back to the feet of Christ. But before I say a word, I'm going to pray for this message, so please join me in prayer. Lord, I just thank you. God, I thank you for this opportunity. Lord, that worship was just so beautiful. Lord, and I pray that during this sermon, Lord, as we we really focus on what you have to say today, Lord, that we would be saying the same thing in our heart. Lord, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done in my heart and in my life. Lord, you have set me free. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity to preach. Lord, I pray that you would bless this word. Lord, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So the story that we're going to be looking at today is perhaps one of the greatest examples of genuine repentance in the entire Bible. And this is the final message in the the Summer in the Sun sermon series, which I thought has just been absolutely awesome so far. Um, We're going to be in the book of Luke, so it's going to be in Luke 7, 36 through 50. So I would ask you, please take out your Bibles with me. If you don't have your Bible, there's a blue Bible in front of you. It's on page 864. So I'd ask you to flip there. It's Luke 7, 36 through 50. And when you're there, please rise with me as we read the Word of God. Luke 7, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus said, Answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed five hundred denarii and the other fifty. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman Then those who were at table with him begun to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You may be seated. So as I was preparing for this message, I was struck over and over again by the beauty of this story. I, I really truly believe that this is one of the most important stories you could ever read if you do not know Christ. It's one of the best examples about the proper way to repent of our sins. And to deal with the guilt that's in our hearts. And as I was preparing this, I kept saying, Lord, this is an amazing passage. This is a family weekend, so there's going to be kids in the room. I have 20 minutes to really talk about this. Lord, how do you want me to handle this? And by the way, you know, we're talking about a a sinful woman. So how do I talk about this story in a way that is appropriate for everybody to hear? And what I felt the Lord really putting on my heart was, you know, Matt, it's not about what this woman did It's about what she did with her sins, who she went to. It's not about what she did. It's what she did with her sins that's so important. And I thought that's, you know, that's the message we all can stand to hear, young and old. So in this message, instead of the three sort of typical points like we do, I want to treat this as sort of a character study. So we're going to look at the character of the sinful woman, the character of the Pharisee, and then the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's jump right in with the first one. The first one we want to study is the woman. So the woman knew that she was a sinner. And we're going to start with her. The text makes it very clear that the woman knew she was a sinner. She knew her sin, she was aware of it, and she knew that she needed help. Something that we should all aim to emulate in our lives. Amen? So the text says, when she learned that Jesus was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and she immediately went to the Pharisee's house, and walked inside to see Jesus. So scripture doesn't tell us how she got in the house, because in these days, right, if somebody just walks into your kitchen, you'd probably be like, "Uh, who are you? I did not invite you in here. But in those times, it was common for people to come and go in and out of the home during a feast, especially when there were teachers around, uh, teachers of the law. So remember, think about the crowd that we heard about recently in Pastor Kyle's sermon with the paralytic man that was healed in Jesus' house, how they lowered him through the roof. So it was common for crowds to accumulate like that. So it doesn't matter how she got inside. The point was that she was bold enough to go into this house of this Pharisee so she could find Jesus and anoint him with this perfume. So let me ask you a question. Why did this woman in this story do what she did? Why did she enter this Pharisee's house? Why was she on the floor weeping, not crying, weeping, so hard that her tears soaked the feet of Jesus Regardless of who else was around her that she did this, might it be that she was just so overcome with the burden of her sin in her soul that all she could do was weep at the feet of Jesus Christ. You can almost hear the words of David in Psalm 51 just gushing from her heart. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, Lord, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Let me hear joy and gladness. Lord, let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and Lord, blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Amen. So Psalm 51 is probably one of the scriptures that I've gone to the most In my time in the Word, and it's just the most repentant prayer, one of the most repentant prayers in all of Scripture. And the story of this woman repenting before Christ is this poem personified. So, one aspect that I really hope that we don't miss in this story is just the boldness of this woman in coming to Christ. So let me just give you some backstory to explain why what this woman did was no small thing. It was extremely bold, and just to honor her with what she did. First, you need to remember that this woman had a reputation for her sin. Showing her face in the house of Simon the Pharisee, now the scripture doesn't tell us this, but I can imagine it probably was a little anxiety-inducing, considering that Pharisees were the ones that enforced the law. And the scripture does tell us in verse 39 that Simon did in fact recognize her just from her sin. It says, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman is this that is touching him, for she is a sinner. This woman let her hair down so that she could wipe the tears off of Jesus. You know, in today's culture, letting your hair down, whatever, it doesn't mean anything. But in this culture... As a woman, to let your hair down like that was akin to taking your shirt off in public. It was that embarrassing. But she did that because that was the only towel that she had to wipe the feet of Jesus with. Also, when she was getting ready to leave Jesus, it's really important to realize she didn't just grab a, a jar of olive oil off of the shelf. She didn't just grab you know, her cheapest perfume that she wears on most days to bring to anoint Christ. She didn't just grab that. She grabbed an extremely expensive perfume. A lot of theologians would guess that it was a perfume called nard, which in those days would cost around 300 denarii per pound. So a a denarii being a day's wage in biblical times. So put that in perspective. The average salary of a United States person, $44,000 to $63,000 per year. So if this were inflated for modern times, She very well could have been holding what would amount to a $63,000 bottle of perfume in her hands to anoint Christ with. You only break this out for the highest of occasions, and she chose that to bring to Christ. So I've had the privilege and the honor of serving here for well over 10 years in the worship ministry. And every time I read the story of this woman, as she lays this perfume on Christ, I can't help but think, that that's what our worship should be like, amen? This perfume that she brought with her, this is our worship. When we come to Christ, when we're here, and by the way, we all know this, worship is not just the songs we sang, even though today was absolutely beautiful. Worship is a lifestyle, a heart change that is centered around Christ, amen? And when we get here on the weekends, on Saturdays and Sundays, and we finally sing these songs together in praise, that should just be the cherry on top of a life of a week spent in worship to Christ, So we're back here every single Saturday and Sunday, the worship leaders, we always take time to to pray for all of us as we come to here, as we come to church, that God would just start to water our hearts, that when we get here, we would realize what we're doing. It's so much more than just singing a song. If, If we're just here singing, seeing these words on the screen saying, thank you, Jesus, you've rescued me, and it's just a drone chant of those lyrics, that means nothing. We pray so hard, Lord, every single week, Lord, with the people that are going to be here tonight or today, Lord, would you just water our hearts, Lord, everybody in this room, that we would realize that what we're doing today, Lord, we are laying a perfume on you, Lord. We are giving you glory and honor, and that's what our worship is. So we may not often look at worship as the perfume that it really is, but it's our prayer here that we would all start to recognize that that is the goal that it should be at. And it's always the goal as worship leaders to usher this church's hearts into a place of worship. Um, so we talked about this woman. We talked about her heart and repentance. Let's talk about the Pharisee. Let's shift to the Pharisee now. So, this Pharisee, this supposed man of God, he doesn't have the same reaction to sin as she did. So, Simon the Pharisee's action in the story are the perfect examples in the, of the attitudes of a Pharisee in those times. This Pharisee, Instead of rejoicing at the repentance of this woman, you know, just, just even for a second here, it's not about what he viewed Christ as, right? Because he was speculating, you know, I don't know who this guy is, but as a shepherd, as a minister of Christ, as of God, when he saw this woman repenting for her sins, he should have been able to rejoice at that, that fact alone. Like, I don't know who this guy is yet, but this woman, I've seen her out there. She's a sinner, a rampant sinner, but now she's on her knees, crying over her sin and praying. That should have excited him, but it didn't. He immediately judged her. So in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says, Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What a contrast to what the Pharisee's attitude was. Jesus is saying that all of heaven rejoices when a sinner repents, and this Pharisee can't see the beauty of what's happening before his very eyes. You know, I was, I was searching for quotes about repentance that I could bring into this message, and I actually stumbled upon one from a priest named John Vianney, or Vianney, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but he said this, God will pardon a genuinely repentant sinner more quickly than a mother would snatch her child out of a fire. And that really hit me. So this is our family weekend. We have children with us today. So, mothers and fathers, I would invite you to just take a moment and look at your child and read that quote again God will pardon a genuinely repentant sinner more quickly than a mother would snatch her child out of a fire. Now, I just want to hang on talking about this Pharisee for just a little bit longer because there's something in his attitude that's incredibly profound and that we really need to be on constant watch for lest it makes its way into our own hearts and we fall into the same trap as him. And the more we learn about this Pharisee and how Pharisees acted in regards to their treatment of sinners, the more we will appreciate the boldness of this repentant woman. So there were around 6,000 Pharisees in those days, and being teachers of the law, they believed that they must be set apart in their conduct, as it was their responsibility to interpret the law, to teach it, and to enforce it. So Pharisees actually earned the nickname, the Bruised and the Bleeding Pharisees, And it's a funny way that they earned it, because they would actually cover their own eyes when they walk up a set of stairs, if there was a woman in front of them, just on the off chance that they would see this woman's ankles and that they would fall into sin. So this would actually lead to a reputation of Pharisees that would fall down staircases and walk into pillars face first, just so that they could avoid the outward appearance of their sin, instead of wondering, maybe I should address the inward situation in my heart instead of this outward action. So I I have to say this, Lord, forgive me, but I really hope that when we get to heaven, God has prepared like a slideshow of these Pharisees falling down the staircases or walking into the pillars, so just so we can watch it and just laugh. Of course, it would be funny until we're featured in the video, because Lord knows we've all done stuff like this at some times, Um, been more focused on the outward appearance than the inward, but there's just something in me that hopes that that's waiting for us. Um, so I heard a story uh, of a man who was at church, and he kept praying, Lord, would you please remove these, these cobwebs that are in my heart, these cobwebs of sin? And he would come to church every week praying the same prayer. Lord, would you remove these cobwebs in my heart? And one day, as he's coming to the microphone to pray his usual prayer, the pastor, the pastor out of desperation, just grabs the mic and says, Lord, would you kill this spider? Would you kill the spider in his heart that keeps causing these cobwebs? You see, it's not enough to focus on the outward effect of our sins. It's not enough to focus on the effects of what our sin does to us if we never pray that the root cause is addressed. Amen? So later on in the story, when Jesus says to the woman that her sins are forgiven, what does the Pharisee and those who are around Jesus say? They say in their hearts, who is this who even forgives sins? Because how dare this man step into the role of God? Right? How dare this man say that her sins are forgiven? Who is he to forgive sins? He's just a man. That's what they're thinking of. But do you guys catch the irony in what they're doing there? Because this, this is the hypocrisy. What Simon was doing earlier in the story is no different. It's no different from what Jesus was doing in intention. You see, where Jesus was looking at this woman and saying, your sins are forgiven because you have loved much. What Simon said to this woman was, you are your sins. You're never going to be different. You're a sinner. If this guy even knew who you were right now, at his feet, he would kick you out of here in disgust. Because that's what you are. You're a sinner. So the Pharisee decided in that moment that he was going to grab the gavel that is reserved for God alone, lift it up, and smash it on the table with a verdict of guilty. Both forgiving sins... And judging sins are godlike acts. And Simon was guilty of the latter. So I don't think we want to admit it, but I think that we should really address this. I don't think that the, the Christian Pharisee is something that only happened in biblical times. In fact, I would argue that the Christian Pharisee is around us everywhere today. I see it all the time. Even on Facebook, when you see people just posting the most ridiculous things in the name of Christ drudging people, dragging people. So for a second here, just forget about your theological learnings, your good service of others, the kind things you do. Do you know Jesus? What is the heart of our actions? What is our intentions? Is it to love people, or is it to judge other people? Have we ever said, Lord, Lord, I'm tired of of this life of sin. I am tired of this lawfulness in my heart. Please save me from myself. And have we forgotten that that was us once upon a time, those of us who are in Christ. There was not a single one of us that was not hideously drenched in sin before Christ came to us. Yet it's so easy to forget that. Lord, please save me from myself. Transform me to be more like you. Thank you, God, for dying for me, although I did not deserve it. I don't understand why you love me like this, but I am so grateful." Is that our hearts for others, that God would do that for them? Or are we judging them, are we labeling them for what they do outwardly? And have we forgotten that we're not even responsible for our initial conversion? The Lord came to us. The Holy Spirit knocked on the door to our hearts. We didn't find Him on the strength of our own will. We didn't say, Lord, I'm going to be saved. I'm going to transform myself because I want to be like you. No, the, just the, even the fact that we were able to do that came from the Holy Spirit, amen? So why, when we see somebody who's a sinner, even someone who's sinned their whole lives, do we look at that person as a lost cause? Where we even, maybe we don't admit it, but in our hearts we say, you know what, this person might be too far gone. No matter what a person does, no matter how bad that they have messed up, no matter what their political stances are, no heart is impenetrable for Jesus. Amen. 2 Timothy 2:24 through 26 reads, "And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will." So finally, we've studied the woman, we've studied the Pharisee, and now we get to study the character of Christ. The compassion of our Lord Jesus. You know, it just blows my mind as I was reading this, that Jesus, the Son of God, a member of the Trinity, God in flesh, was in this Pharisee's house. And the only person that knew who he was was this sinful woman. Not the man of God. Jesus is sitting in this guy's house just reclining at the table. And when this woman came into the house, Jesus knew who she was and why she was there. When she started to anoint him and to weep at his feet, he didn't back away and get embarrassed. He let her. He accepted her gift because he knew this woman was in the exact place that she needed to be to fix the problem that she needed fixed. Only he could provide the mercy and the forgiveness that she so desperately needed. Now, the scripture doesn't say this per se, but could it be possible that this woman was the entire point of Jesus being at that Pharisee's house in the first place? Knowing that she would find him there, he showed up there for his true audience with this woman as she rejoiced in her forgiveness. So I love the response that Jesus gives the Pharisee when our Lord discerns his thoughts. He says, Simon, I have something to say to you, which, first off, that's scary. Jesus saying, I have something to say to you. You should be like, okay, what is it? So Simon, knowing a challenge was coming, he said to him, well, go on, say it. Jesus proceeds to tell a parable so simple and easy to understand, you'd be forgiven if you thought he was talking to a child. He tells of the moneylender who forgives two debts, one debt belonging to a man who owed little and one debt belonging to a man who owed a great sum. And Jesus asked him, which will be more grateful when the moneylender forgave him. The Pharisee says, well, I suppose. First off, you suppose? The answer is clear. The one that had the larger debt, the two years worth of wages that he owed, is going to be infinitely more grateful than the person who had a small debt. The answer is clear. He called himself a teacher, but he couldn't get this simple concept. You see, in this story, Jesus is foreshadowing his ultimate goal, to cancel the debts of those who are indebted. But it's not a debt of money. No, it's not a debt of money. It's a debt of sin. The moneylender in this parable didn't forgive the debt for some hidden nefarious reason, for something he wanted in return. He did it out of love. And then Jesus turns to this woman and gives her honor before the Pharisee. He says, look at this woman. I entered your house. You gave me no water. That's a customary greeting to kiss each other on the cheek when I walk in. But you didn't do that for me. But this woman hasn't stopped kissing my feet. The entire time that I've been here. You gave me no oil for my head. She brought the most precious perfume that she has in her house to anoint my feet with. So her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has loved much. But he was forgiven little, loves little. So don't, please don't miss what he does next. Because so many times I read past this part and I miss the richness and the depth of what Christ does next. After he says all of these things to Simon the Pharisee, he turns to the woman and looks at her and repeats it, saying, your sins are forgiven. Now, could you imagine? It's almost like this. It's almost like with my wife. If the only time I ever told her that I loved her was on stage, right? if I get up here and I would say, you know, man, the Lord has blessed me. I'm with a beautiful wife. I just love her so much. I really couldn't get through it without her but then I never say it to her. Do you see the difference in what he does there? He says to Simon, she has loved much, her sins are forgiven, and then takes the time to look at her and say your sins are forgiven, which just shows the character of Christ. The Lord of the universe wants to know you personally. That is a beautiful thing. When Christ was dying, when he was on the cross, it was not for a sea of so many people that he can't even make out who they all are. I don't even know who all these people are, but I'm dying for them. No, it was not that. The scriptures say that he formed you in your mother's womb. And when he died, he thought of you individually. He thought of me individually when he died on that cross. All of the sins that I have ever committed in my life he took upon Himself on the cross, and He knew me. He knew the ridiculously large amount of sins that I was going to have to pile on Him and that He was going to have to bear, yet He did it anyways for me. Do you think about that? He bore our sins. He died so you and I could have salvation and be saved. He knew you, and it was personal. God will pardon a genuinely repentant sinner more quickly then a mother would snatch her child from a fire. Jesus died and rose again so that there would be a way to pull us from that fire. I don't know your hearts. I don't know if you've accepted the salvation of Christ. But if you're here today and if you're feeling on that, that tug that's on your heart, please, I beg you to listen to it. Please surrender to Christ. Please pray, Lord, I am tired of this life of sin. Only through you, Can I be made holy and forgiven? Lord, please send me your Holy Spirit. Forgive me of my sins and teach me your ways. Lord, I owe you my life and you have it. You are my savior. You are worthy of my worship and my life. Don't miss out on that.